So we'll talk about Purim today. Talk a little bit about Purim. And, uh, you know, this, it's, the story of Purim is a very interesting story because, A, the setting of Purim, if you think about it, is during exile. We can relate a little bit more because most of the time when we talk about stories, like we read about the exodus of Egypt and then in the desert and then in Israel, and then we even about Hanukkah, which is a rabbinic they're all talking about during the time that the Jews had a temple, we were, we had a, a semi-sovereign nation, we had some independence, but the uh, miracle of Purim takes place, the setting of it is totally in exile. We were, uh, we were under other people's uh, control, we didn't have really uh, the real freedom, we didn't uh, live our lives uh, by, um, by our choices, and uh, which means the general Jewish people were in exile. And what happened after the miracle? So we got rid of Haman. Did we go out of exile? Did we uh, have our independent? Did we, no, nothing. We still continue to be in... And yet, we see the great miracles. Now, when you read the story, we read it all in one day, or we talk about it in one day. It was a long span. So first he made the party, and then he took a queen, he killed his wife Vashti, but it took, this was three years later, seven years later, eleven years later, it didn't happen all in one time. So if you lived there at that time, you know, you, you, you didn't know the end of the story, you were part of the story. So there was a time that the Jewish people were frightened, you know, and they were scared. And, and like, like today, there was a lot of people that didn't go along with the plan. You know, there were a lot of people, they didn't follow uh, Mordechai. Mordechai was the uh, religious Jew, and um, and there was a whole um, a whole movement over there that wanted to reform and then wanted to accommodate the other religion that was, or the other religion, or to do away with some of the culture, to accept, you know, the, the, the various different... Uh, um, you know, uh, ideas over there. You know, we say, after the miracle, we say, Laihudim, Hosa'ara, Vesimcha, Vesasim, Vikor. There was light, there was joy, uh, there was uh, rejoicing, and Yikor, and honor. There was all these kinds of beautiful things. Why? Because the, all those things were challenged. The Gemara says the study of Torah was challenged. The observance of Shabbos was challenged. The observance of Yontav was challenged. The observance of the Bris Milla was challenged. All the signs that distinguish the Jewish people were challenged. And not everybody went along. Not everybody went along with Mordechai. And there was a, a lot of people that um, were going to, uh, went along, the Misyavnim, they went along with the or the Ivanim, or they went along with the Antioch, with the other people over there, with the, with the Greeks, with all different philosophies. And they went along with them, and what actually happened, it seems like, what actually happened was that the Jewish people had a certain level of freedom, and they were finally accepted as, until Haman came around, as equal citizens. So when the king made a party... He invited everybody to his party, and he invited also the, his Jewish subjects. All the Jewish people came to the party too. Now, while 
Achashverosh tried to accommodate, he gave the wine for everybody, he made everybody, but still, the food wasn't proper for Jewish people to partake of it, because it was Yainasach, it was made in the vessels of the temple that he used over there, this was a degradation for the Beis HaMikdash. But the Rebbe points out that one of the major setbacks for the Jewish people was it says, they, they enjoyed. So in other words, they felt sort of important, or they felt that they're accepted as part of society. And the Jews being always at the edge and always being uh, looked upon you know, by their non-Jewish neighbors, their different religion, their different practices, they have... So the Jewish people finally, once they were invited to a party and they are accepted and the part of the kings uh, equal to all the other subjects of the king, so they were very happy. What year was this? Supposedly? The in the uh, date, in the English date. You want to know? I, I I can't tell you that. I'm not good at that. I have to check that up. But this was shortly. He made the party shortly after he uh, he established his kingdom because you know the Midrash, There's a lot of Midrash over here says that Achashverosh wasn't really fit to be a king, and just because he just took it over and then he. Uh, once it was established, so he felt comfortable, he threw a party, and he was basically trying to buy the people in his government by throwing parties for them, giving them a good time, and and then he went crazy, you know, with 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 with, with, with Vashti, and there all these things was orchestrated uh, with the party. I, I I don't know the I have to look but it up. It was somewhere between the first temple's destruction and yes. before yes. the second temple. Was yeah, in between seventy years. Seventy years. Yeah, in the seventy years. It was in the yeah. seventy years before. That's why when she asked, he said, "I won't agree to build the 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 the, the, the temple." That's what the one thing that he said. Achashverosh implied to Esther that whatever you ask, but I'm not going to build the temple. That's what Chatsi HaMalchus Viseos. So Rashi, the Gemara explains that that song is not going to build the temple. Yeah, but um, so but the the Did point. What you said about temple, second temple. That he would not allow. He says when he said whatever you ask, uh, he said, but I'm not going to allow to build the temple. Uh-huh. The, okay. But their uh, son. There was, see this whole story. The the Gemara calculates. The Gemara says that. The, they knew the prophet said that after seventy years the Jews will go back to um, back to Israel, and there were two exiles. There was the first exile, and then there was the second exile. Which means, um, first only the uh, the um, the important people uh, were exiled. It was like eleven years uh, earlier, and then the simple people were left in, in, in Israel, and then there was the second exile, and the 70 years went from the second exile, not from the first exile, this was this was where there was a miscalculation, and uh, Achashverosh thought that the exile is over, uh, I mean, and since the prophecy has not come fulfilled, it's not going to come fulfilled, the Jews are not going to return, so that's when he took out all the vessels, and uh, he uh, made this big party, and um, so that's the interpretation. You know that that that's part of the um, of, of 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 this um, of the story. But the point um, that I was trying that Rebbe makes was that uh, they felt so good. They felt like uh, we're part of the society, and that comes from a sense of 
a complex. You know, sometimes we have a complex. We want other people to like us, and we find it today. It's very, uh, very common that people will feel uh, very good. You know, the fact that other people accept us. You know, Rabbi Tversky likes to say a joke. Um, uh, he says that there was once a. Uh, uh, you know, a bearded person was sitting on the uh, on a uh, on a seat, and um, he was reading a newspaper. And this was this old Yiddish mama who was sitting behind her. And she says to him, "She says, you know, you're uh, look like a Hasidic rabbi, and and and, uh, and I want you to know that you're the cause of all the service that the Jewish trouble the Jewish people have. You look different, you act different." They all hate us because of you, because we're separate, because we're, we're, we're different and we don't assimilate, we don't look like the other people and we stand out and we were bad. She kept on going and going and going. And he turns around, he says, Ma, are you talking to me? What a perfect English. She says, oh, she says, you know what? You must be Amish. She says, it is so beautiful that you keep your traditions, you know. And it, it, <laughs> you know, for the Jewish person, it wasn't okay. You know, we have to assimilate. You no, know, there is that real feeling. People feel that if I can get a pat in the back, you know, by somebody who's not Jewish or somebody acceptance, and, you know, they'll say, oh, you're a nice, a nice person, you are uh, equal to all of us. You know, you're, you're no different. It makes them feel good. The truth of the matter is, the Rebbe argued many times, that the way to get respect from other people is if you really, they know that you're principled and they respect you for what you do because you're principled. It is the hesitation. It is the trying to kiss up to these people, is trying to, uh, it comes through very, very clearly. It doesn't, you can't hide it for that long. So they don't really, they don't respect you. They may pretend, you know, that you're, um, you know, that you're an equal or like you. The Rebbe also talked a lot about, like, if Israel took a stand, you know, like, whatever the principle it is, so you know, this is where we stand. According to the Rebbe, the Rebbe argued that, the reason we have the, all the trouble now with all the... is because we raised their appetite, because we kept on saying, oh, we're going to give it back to you, and we're, don't, don't worry if, 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 if the situation is... If, if you'd only recognize us, instead of saying, listen, this is ours, and this is given to us, and that's it, there's nothing to talk about, then they wouldn't invite the other people, their appetite to want it. But now we have to deal with, because... Okay, you said this, you said that, you know, and then we have to negotiate everything. But that's a side point. The Rebbe points out that the Gemara says, the Talmud says, that they enjoyed the meal. It doesn't say that they ate in the meal, they enjoyed the meal. That was that inferiority, that their inferiority was expressed. And therefore, what they did was, they were afraid to speak up and say, listen, these are the vessels of the temple. We can't be part of it. This is... You see, sometimes there is a sin. You're not allowed to do this, you're not allowed to do this. Sometimes there is a sin which is called a chilul Hashem, a desecration of God's name. If you 
that's very, very important, you know, people to know. It's one thing if you do something in private, let's say. You do something which is maybe not the right thing to do or you do the wrong thing. Okay, so you make a mistake, but that's private. But if you openly in the outside do behave in a way which other people see and it causes them to say bad things about the Jewish religion, about the Jewish people, about God, about about Israel, if you behave in such a way that brings a negative attitude, then you're causing a desecration for Hashem's name. Hashem does not forgive for that because um, that is considered to be one of the gravest sins to desecrate. So when you, to desecrate the name of Hashem. So when you go to a party and the vessels of the temple are there, and you go and sit and enjoy, and you're sitting and you're schmoozing with all the noblemen, with all the princes over there, with all the goyim, and you're having a great time, and they're serving it in the vessels of the Beis Hamikdash in such a way, and you're part of it, there's no greater desecration of the name of Hashem. That's why this was a terrible offense. But the Jewish people at the time were scared. They were, or they wanted to fit in. Some of them wanted to fit in. And then, you know, the Tzorah started coming up. So we have one problem, another problem. But it's interesting. We read the whole story of the Megillah. We see how all the pieces of the puzzle fit in. So what are the, the two, what are the, the two or three main pieces of this puzzle? What happened? So first you have... Uh, Achashverosh killing Vashti. He makes a party. So Achashverosh tries to make these big parties. He kills his wife Vashti. So then he needs a queen. Esther becomes the queen. She's a Jewess. She's a cousin of Mordechai's or his wife, depending on which interpretation. Uh, she's uh, taken to the uh, King's Palace, she lives a double life according to some, she lives with Mora, and you know, she's sometimes in the palace, she's sometimes home. Um, but that was not something that she chose, they forced her, and the, uh, she went for that. And another halakhically or morally, how this, that's another discussion, we're not discussing that now. But that's an important event that took place, one of the events. The next event that took place was that there were two people who were uh, officers in the palace of the king. They plotted to kill the king. There were two people, big son Vaseresh. They were plotting to kill the king. And Achashverosh, he happens to overhear their conversation. Mordechai. Huh? Mordechai. What did I say? Sorry. Mordechai. Mordechai happens to hear the conversation, and now he has a connection to Esther. So he goes and tells Esther what these two people are plotting, and the king writes this down in his book. That's the second main point that happens. The third point that happens is that Haman becomes the big shot in the, in the palace. Now it's interesting, Rashi comments right in the beginning, it says, Achar hadvorim ho'eleh 
Gidal HaMelech HaChashverosh. After this story, King HaChashverosh made Haman king. He made him higher than all the officers, and he says that everybody should go and bow down and prostrate themselves in front of Haman. That's the decree of the king. Now, what does it mean, Achar Hadvarim Ha'ela, after these things? King Vashti was, Queen Vashti, Queen Esther was already a queen for several years. This didn't happen at the day after she became a queen. This was after. So what does it mean, Achar Hadvarim Ha'ela, after these things? Rashi says, after the story that with Mordechai listening to the two officers of the king plotting to kill the king, that is when Achashverosh makes him great. So why is it, what is the connection? Why are you saying after this happened, when you say why is it after this? So Rashi is something very interesting. God creates the remedy before he brings the problem. So because the problem was going to be Haman, so God brought the remedy. So in other words, after Hashem, means after the remedy. What was the remedy? The remedy was that Mordechai told the king, so now he's already secured later on the salvation, as we'll see what happened at the end. So after Hashem creates the remedy, so that Mordechai was able to save the king's life by uh, telling that they were plotting to kill the king, then... Hashem makes the problem. So Hashem protects first, and then He makes the problem. So what does He make the problem? So if you read the story now, we know. So why did Hashem make the problem? So it says, the Gemara says, for two reasons. Because A, they bow down to the, uh, previously they bow down to the Salem, they uh, worship basically the idol. But the second thing was that they, Benefited, Rashi says, they benefited from the meal of that Russia, like we talked before, because they went to that meal. So, Hashem made them the problem, but before Hashem created the problem for them, Hashem created the remedy. Now, why did Hashem create the problem? Because Hashem wanted them to take the message to return to Hashem, to realize that they made a mistake, so there's something to be done about it. So, that's what Mordechai did. What did Mordechai do? So he takes uh, sackcloth and he takes, gathers all the, the Jewish people and he's, he screams and he cries and he prays and he gathers everybody together um, to try to stop this, what Haman is trying to do. Because what got Haman angry? Haman also got angry because Haman got angry. You see, if Mordechai some will argue, would have gone along with the plan. The king said that everybody should bow for Haman, right? So Mordechai can say, okay, I'll bow to Haman and Shashtil will be quiet. Nothing is going to happen. But Mordechai, because why did the king say for everybody to buy, to, to bow to Haman? It wasn't just for out of respect. He made himself into a deity. He made himself into a god. That's why he wants everybody to, to uh, bow to him. And a Jew is not permitted to bow to a, to a, to a god, to a, to a deity, to an Avodah Even if you don't hold it in your heart. So, let's say, you say, listen, what's the act? I'll fall on my knees, I'll bend my head, I'll prostrate myself in front of an idol. 
But I don't believe in it. I'm just doing an act. It's just externally. No. Avodah doesn't go that way. With idol worship, you're not allowed to. You know the story of Hannah and her seven sons, all the children? The king was trying to get them to bow to the idol. And finally, the youngest one, it's a very sad and a very cruel story from the... But these kids were not would not give up, and the king finally was defeated by the youngest of Hannah's children. And the king tried to beg him, he says, he threw the ring on the floor, and he says, all what I'm going to ask you is to pick up the ring, and while you're picking up the ring, you'll be bowing. So, and the kid refused. He refused, even externally, even to a show. That's what's called a Chilal Hashem, to desecrate the name of Hashem, so you're this would be a terrible desecration. It would be a disorder. So, some people would argue and say, if Mordechai wasn't so stubborn in his ways, like some people argue, if the Jews would just go out of the world, there would be no anti-Semitism. There will be nobody to hate anymore. There will be no more Jews. The whole world will be in peace. The Arabs, everybody will be fair. Just look how they're killing each other in, in, in Syria, in all over the world. They, but they just say, if the Jew wasn't there, it's the Jew, the anti-Semitism, that causes the whole problem of the whole world. You know, you know. And if we would just stop existing, and somehow we would disappear, what does Haman say? Lahashmid, laharig, ulaabed. Lahashmid, to destroy. Laharig, to kill. Ulaabed means to make disappear, to to just somehow, why do we need such a creature as Jews? We don't need any Jews. Now, Haman was also arguing, I was thinking to myself, Haman was arguing, he says, and there's no benefit to the king either, they don't provide any money. There's no value to them. I don't know, they were all running tax-exempt organizations there, I don't know how they didn't have any <laughs> any money for the king over there at the taxes, I don't know exactly what went on over there, I have to look at the Medrash and see how they interpret this, but the bottom line was Mordechai said, I'm not going to bow down, and the truth of the matter is here is the principle that we're going to discuss today, we're trying to get to a point over here the issue is, what was the problem? Was the problem a physical problem? Or was the problem a spiritual problem? Who is in charge of problems and who is in charge of salvation? This is, this is the bottom line, what it all ends up, to, ends up to. Are things just happening because they're happening? Or they're happening because somebody makes them happen? Is there somebody in charge of this world? who things are happening is because he dictates, he makes them happen the way they do, for the good or for the bad, whatever happens, or it's just dictated to nature. Now, when there is a time of exile, it's more confusing. When there's a time when the Beis HaMikdash is in existence, and everybody sees miracles all the time, and you see that good things happen to good people, and bad things happen to bad people, when you see that, so then it's clear, that's open miracles, that we see, that's when the Beis HaMikdash was there, but exile, unfortunately, is a time when the divine is in disguise. It doesn't mean, though, that there is no divine. 
we say, We don't see. Our eyes don't see. It's not that it's not there. God is running the world just like He ran the world and will run the world. He's the only one that runs the world. There's nothing else happening. Everything happens because that is Hashem's wishes and that's what is what Hashem wants. And therefore, Mordechai knows that if Haman, who hates Jews, for him to have his plans work, it must come from Hashem. It doesn't come from Haman himself. And if Haman is successful in making a decree, it is because that's something, a message from Hashem is sending a message. That's why things are happening. And therefore, Haman and Mordechai isn't going to give up. He's not going to bow to Haman and violate Avodah just because he's afraid of him. If God says you can't do it, he's not going to do it. That's not going to give Haman the strength. That's not why we're going to be in trouble. We're not going to violate the laws. And the contrary, the reason why Haman is successful is not because Mordechai does not about him, although it looks like he got angry, and then he wasn't just angry at Mordechai, they told him Mordechai's people, so now he's going to destroy all people. The reason he got angry was because he won't, uh, he won't bow to him, but he knew, uh, Mordechai knew that everything is Hashem's hand and it comes from Hashem. Which, with that approach, we understand a lot of different things. So what do we got to do when, what do we have to do when we have a problem? How do we deal with problems? How do we deal with problems? Do we deal with problems? Do we look at the problems from the natural point of view, from the natural perspective, or do we deal with problems from the spiritual perspective? And this is what the story of Purim tells us. The story of Purim tells us, look, everything is still in disguise. Everything is still hidden. Look, 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 look at the story of Purim. Okay. First of all, look at the name of Purim. What is the name of Purim? What does Purim mean? Lots. Lots. So, but... What is the Hebrew name for the world of, of Lots? Koral. It says, Hippil Pur. He threw Lots. Who? Hagoral. That's what the Pasik says. Lots is the name. Why do we call it Purim? Why don't we call it Koralois? Why do we call it in the Aramaic language? Why do we call it Purim? Somehow. It's it's hidden. Now, what was the what were the lots about? Which day to kill the Jews? Which day to kill the Jews? So why are we calling the holiday by the name of the lots? Which day to call the Jew, kill the Jews? We should call the holiday like Hanukkah. What do we call Hanukkah? What's Hanukkah? What does Hanukkah mean? They rested. They rested on the 25th because they won the war, and then they rested on the 25th. Why don't we give Hanukkah is a Hebrew name? 
It's a Hebrew name, right? It also represents salvation. Why do we call Purim by the name of Purim? And we call it by the lots that they wanted to kill us. Why do we call it? We should call it some more name which would make more sense to celebrate our celebration, not the trying to downfall. What, why, why is that? And generally, when you look at the Megillah, it's the only book of the 24 holy books of, of scriptures, of the Kisve HaKodesh, that never has God's name mentioned in it. Doesn't have God's name mentioned in it. Yeah, there is reasons, you know, uh, uh, halachic reasons, because they were under Persia, and they would, if they used the name of God, they would abuse it, they would use it as a different uh, meaning, they would I mean, their deities, their gods, so there's other explanations. But at the end of the day, we have a whole book. A whole book without the name of God. Somehow, it represents, it represents all the exile. So it represents in a place that we are, there are still people throwing pores at us. There are still people throwing lots. We're not even talking Hebrew. It's not Gerolas. We're, 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 we're in Golos. You know, there's lots. There's Goyim. There's anti-Semites. There's people that hate us. There's Gerolas. It's, it's not Gerolas. It's still Purim. What does Gerolas mean? Huh? Oh, Gerolas means lots. The word. Hebrew word. But we're not using Hebrew words. You know what? And we don't even see God visibly. It's the name of God is not even mentioned. There is no mention of God's name. Things are pretty dark. And the Golos is pretty big. Which was different. And Hanukkah, actually, like we talked about, that was during, at least it was during the time of the Beis Hamikdash. So there was a certain sense of independence. There was a certain sense of freedom. There were some miracles. There was a holy time. It wasn't like in the first temple. There was all some of the greatest miracles no longer existed in the second temple, but there was still we had our own land, we had the Kayan God, we had the Avoda, we had the Korbanos, we had some things but Purim is a whole different setting and the name of Esther just the name Esther Esther means disguise, means hidden not only does Esther mean disguise but actually, the Talmud says, Esther mina Torah mina Where do we see the word Esther in the Torah? Torah asks, Mordechai mina Torah mina Where do we see Mordechai in the Torah? Where does Mordechai in the Torah? What does it mean? Where, where is Esther in the Torah? Where is there an allusion to Esther in the Torah? So the Gemara finds a Pesach. When Hashem is rebuking the people and He's telling them very strong rebuke, Hashem says, haster aster On that day, God says, I will hide my face. Haster aster, a double haster, a double time, which means it's not just a golos, but it's a golos betech golos. It's an exile within a golos. It's everything is disguised. That's Esther minhaturim. Not only that, not that, the name Mordechai is the Gemara says, let's come is. Also, more the royal that Moradachia, the Gemara says from the from the one of the spices is called Moradachia. That's Mordechai. Also shows bitter. But what does it mean? It means we live 
in a time, the times of Esther, the time of this setting of that story, was a time of disguise, it was a time of Esther Ponim. We didn't see and we didn't feel and we didn't know, we were confused and we were totally uh, unconscientious about, about Hashem. Yet, Mordechai was able to raise the conscience of the people. Mordechai almost single-handedly, because people were, were tired. People were giving up. People were already uh, too long and too hard. The darkness was too much of them. Mordechai infused them with a new strength, with a new energy, with a new power. He gave them the koyach, and he says no. Gave them the amuna, gave them the strength, helped them find who they really are, reaching deeper than even they themselves know. It was Megillah's Esther. Megillah means the revelation. He revealed the Hester. He revealed the Hester in everybody, in every person themselves. He revealed the deepest, most inner parts of the self, of the person, to find that spark of hope, that spark of goodness, that spark of soul that is connected to Hashem. He digged into that. And then he digged into the same thing, into that deepest level of exile. And he brought about a miracle so that notwithstanding that we still have darkness and we're still out there and we haven't yet gotten rid of our Taurus. We still have for the Taurus. But yet there was a breath of fresh air. There was a salvation. There was a great miracle. There was a Megillah's Esther. There was a such a excitement. Funny thing is that Purim is the most celebrated, uh, joyous holiday than any other holiday. The Gemara says a person is obligated to be intoxicated to the extent that you don't even know between blessed is Mordechai and cursed is Haman. That means a very, that's a strong level of intoxication. We don't find that anywhere by any other uh, holiday. Why is there such a mitzvah? I mean, don't go take me literally in all cases. That's a whole other debate, exactly what it means and how we're supposed to behave. But I'm just saying, just but the idea we see, the joy of Purim is really a very, very exciting joy. Why? Because it comes from the Hester. Because it's really, because in order for us to get a glimpse of Hashem in a time when we don't see Hashem, it's just so exciting. It's just so invigorating. It's just so inspiring it gives us so much energy to be able to live with the continuous darkness same thing in our lives if we have time we experience some sort of major salvation we get so excited that we can use that energy to go ahead and help us in our further avoided as we go on and that's how the Rebbe explains he says look something is very strange why does Esther starve herself before she goes to the uh, see the king? She goes to starve herself. And starving herself would seem, again, I mean, today people think that you're more beautiful if you starve, but you know, starving yourself 
before coming to the king seems to be uh, weakening, losing some of her beauty, some of her grace. She needed to find favor in the eyes of the king. Why, when we had this problem, why did the Jewish people not say, oh, we have a queen, and we have somebody there, we'll be protected. First thing they said, we'll fast, and we'll do teshuva, and we'll do. Because this goes along with the whole story. It all, they really saw, and they really believed, that everything that happens is not because Achashverosh has the power, not because Haman has the power, it's everything is from Hashem. What we need to do is we need to reveal in ourself our goodness, our connection to Hashem, and then we will reveal Hashem's presence in the world as well. It doesn't happen uh, just by itself. The most important thing, of course, everybody always says, you have to make a vessel according to nature. You have to do b'chol We are told that the manna came down to the Jews that was in the desert. Now we got to work. We got to work. We got to th- do things in a natural way. But when we do things in a natural way, why do we get it? Do we get it? Is because the nature gives it to us? Because Hashem gives it through the natural ways. But when we're in Golos, when we're dealing with people that speak Persian, they say Purim, we're still dealing with people who are conniving and trying to trick us. But how about then? You know, we're and we're doing business. We're in the world. We're 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 with everybody else. With with the whole world together. What should be our approach? Hashem is open with us, or should we accept and say, now we gotta do things in the natural ways? And then we'll worry about Hashem. First, we gotta do everything in nature. The story of the Megillah teaches us that the main and the absolute most important thing is the first thing is to pray to Hashem. And then, yes, together, send the queen to the king, let her back for the people, but don't just go to the king alone without preparing yourself spiritually, without doing teshuva, without turning to Hashem. Together with the spiritual return to Hashem, with the physical actions that you take, jointly you will be successful. And the same thing is in everything that we do. And that's why we celebrate the Purim. We know the Purim story, like every other story, happened a long time ago. But why do we tell us this? It's a lesson. There's actually a statement of the Baal Shem Tov that one who reads the Megillah thinks it's an old story, hasn't fulfilled their obligations. So, if we think it's an old story, Mafreya, then we haven't fulfilled the obligation. Uh, the obligation is to actually... Matter of fact, we're learning in the halacha, you left this morning, we learned the halacha, that uh, the Megillah, according to some opinions, you must understand the Megillah when you're reading it. In the language. In the language. It almost seems like, it's interesting, it almost seems like, I'm not going to make the ruling now, but from what we actually learned in halacha this morning, it almost seems like that you're better off reading the Megillah 
not in Hebrew, in the language you understand, then reading it in Hebrew and not understanding what you're saying and not understanding the meaning of the words. Certainly not paying attention or, you know, if your mind is not paying attention because um, to read the Megillah in Hebrew um, Actually, to read the Megillah in Hebrew, I take that back. You fulfill uh, just the reading of the Megillah if you just read it in Hebrew, but they read it in English not. But the you know, generally, brachas, you were talking about how important it is to understand what you're saying. But certainly, reading the Megillah and knowing what we're celebrating is part of the mitzvah, is part of the mitzvah of the Megillah, is part of the mitzvah, the uh, important of of the Megillah reading. And therefore, that lesson, the Rebbe says, for us to know in our daily lives, yes, we got to do things in a natural way. Yes, we must know that uh, we are in Golos, but we have to know that within Golos, a Jew is directly connected to Hashem. And we have to pray to Hashem and ask Hashem to give us and help us, and then in the midst of Hashem, with Hashem's help, within the nature, through the nature, we will be successful.